Hi, this is Cam Smith, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. Hey, guys, why don't we eat? Dear, don't cause a fuss. I'll have your spam. I love it. I'm having spam, spam, spam. Cornflakes. 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 Anyone fancy a pint? Suit you, sir. Spam, 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 baked beans, spam, 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 and spam. I said I don't want any damn vegetables. Lentils are really good, you know? Mmm, forbidden donut. Twelve oh two. He said, obviously, because it is the afternoon, the scientists are leaving the building. You are listening to 3RRR in the afternoon, and gosh, it's good to have you along. Uh, Whether or not you're listening in the present or in the indeterminate future, because uh, that is a, a great possibility here with podcasts, radio on demand, and uh, I look across, and it gives me great pleasure to say that Carl is sitting in and looking good, and he knows our first guest. I do, Cam. Good morning. Good afternoon. How are you? Good afternoon. We have Damien Neustag, manager of uh, Ward's program, food and beverage, uh, and horticulture at the at Melbourne Royal. And uh, I'm interested to see how that uh, differs from the Razv the Royal Agricultural Society of Victoria. Uh, but really, um, our first guest is really just to throw some accolades because he's been in charge of uh, one of the great uh, judging programs uh, of our time, going through, well, with the um, the Food Beverage Horticulture, uh, with um, the Australian International Spirit Awards and the Wine Awards and um, other things. So... We're going to talk about the world of benchmarking in COVID, I suppose, will be one thing that uh, I'd like to chat about. And, uh, and really, I've got him in just to say, wow, you've, uh, you've done some good things for Victoria, Australia and, uh, and the world in uh, managing to do such a benchmarking. It's, uh, it's quite incredible. So he's waiting in the green room and then... Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I don't know if you are such a devotee as I am. Carl knows it because uh, every Sunday when he comes in, he sees me with a cup of coffee and uh, possibly my favourite breakfast of all time, which I have once a week when I come here, which is laminated pastry shaped in the shape of a crescent moon also known as the croissant uh, or, uh, or the part of the joy of the viennoisois, which I'm probably not saying rightly, but laminated pastry. You, you never have a croissant. I think I'll offer them to you, haven't I, Carl? Um, I do love a croissant. Yes. And a pain au chocolat. Yeah. And all of those French delicacies. Well, we have the, uh, the, well, the queen, the undisputed, uh, the boss of uh, of laminated pastry in this country, Kate Reid. She has uh, just... Actually, I'm not sure if the book is out, but uh, it is. the book is called Loon, which is uh, after her company. And uh, she has gone out of her way to make a domestic recipe. As she says in the book, it's not for the faint-hearted, and we'll find out why. Uh, but we will be uh, talking all things about uh, laminated pastry, whether they are in the form of a Danish or a pan of chocolate or an almond croissant. This is the, you know, they say a souffle can't rise twice. Almond croissant can. Cooked once and then cooked again. Um, But, dare I say it, Carl, it is a magnificent day. It is stunning. (sighs) I cannot remember the last time we had a day like this. The winter feels like it's gone on forever. Um, I haven't resorted to this since, you know, we all have computers 
uh, on our person, whether it's strapped onto our wrist or in our pocket or nestling in our laps, but it's 24 degrees. And and only getting hotter over the next couple of days. 24 degrees. Sorry, I got all uh, excited. So uh, that cold spell that we we had to deal with has uh, dissipated through. I'm very, very happy to hear. Some alfresco dining coming up, perhaps. Well, uh, or um, what about just a, a, a great time for a picnic? Uh, for sure. I'm such uh, um, uh, a big fan of a picnic because you can just bring a couple things. A picnic doesn't have to be a giant picnic basket. And living in Australia with the heat that we have, a picnic basket is an awful idea anyway. Um, a cooler is the right thing to be, to be bringing. But a great... Picnic can just be a hunk of cheese and a loaf of bread and a bottle of wine. Huh? You don't. Du vin et du pain. Mais oui. Uh, and thou, if we're going to go into, go from French to Latin. Um, and yeah, a blanket, a view, someone's eyes to look into. And uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great time to, uh, to get into picnics. Having said that, we should also, um, I feel that I should uh, acknowledge and be aware of uh, many parts of Australia where people are in great peril and panic uh, and things like that. So, um, you know, I might be talking about frivolous things, but we think about uh, the others. And luckily, I think I heard in Wagga, the floodwaters have receded, they've peaked. Which is I, good news. Yeah, I haven't followed it too closely, but I mean, I, I, there's still very high the levels in many places. And and the effects of that still have to uh, come through. Yeah. So we will be seeing that. 12.07, actually 12.08. I never look at the seconds for some reason. I'm very, because I read from left to right, Cullen's one. I need to get better at that. Uh, one thing, uh, just as a thing that I've been doing this week, uh, which I'd love to pass on and. Uh, possibly say that uh, it should be on your radar too. Uh, I've been travelling around all these different cinemas uh, in in and around Melbourne, uh, doing advanced screenings of uh, Yoast Backer's film Greenhouse by Yoast, and uh, it's a cracker. And it is produced by Madman. It is totally inspiring. It's all about that little dwelling that was in Birong Ma next to Federation Square, and, um, yeah, at the end of this show, I'm very, very happy to say that I'm going to be heading down the road to Lawn to uh, go to the Lawn Cinema. But I've seen some amazing... There's still some amazing cinemas out there. Mm. Belgrave Cameo. Yeah. Glorious old place. It's worth catching another film, The Lost City of Melbourne. That looks at some of... Have you seen that yet? You've I have. <gasps> really? Yeah. That's um, that's all about the uh, the gold rush and when Melbourne was marvellous pre Whelan, I think it was the well. It's very much focusing on Whelan and the, so much loss, but also what we managed to save um, the, the emergence of the preservation movement. But it, there's a section of the about... film that focuses on cinemas and many of the beautiful cinemas we've lost, like the Padua uh, and many more. What was the Padua? That was up. Uh, I think it's an IGA up, sort of Coteburg or, or Sydney Roadway. I think. Yeah. Um, not my territory, but yeah, yes. it uh, was you know this Art Deco stunning building, as so many of them were. It's amazing that um, a demolition person became such a celebrity because mm. I, I was sort of very much at the tail end of that growing up, and I do remember that uh, one of the things uh, that didn't get uh, smashed by Whelan's hammer and pneumatic drills and bunch of bully boys with sledgehammers uh, was the Regency and uh, we can actually thank nasty old Norm Gallagher who was the head of the BLF, did they have that in there? There was a mention of um, the, the union uh, What did uh, I call him? Norm? I, I can't recall now the detail I but did say Norm Gallagher, I didn't say Noel because he's the singer from Oasis <laughs> a very yeah. different Gallagher Yeah, it's a different <laughs> Gallagher anyway Okay, uh, it is 12, 10 um, stick around uh, before you start getting your picnic supplies because we are going to be speaking with Damien Neusteg, uh Manager of the Awards Food and Beverage Horticulture at Melbourne Royal. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. 
Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. Triple R. Uh, as you were listening to 102.73 Triple R FM or on your device at some time or another. It could be in the present, it could be in the future, but uh, we're delighted that you have your ears on us on this glorious day. And uh, the day just got a little bit better because we've got Damien Newsteg in from... Uh, Ah, oh, down, uh, down Ascot Vale Way is, uh, is where you have your headquarters. A very, very good afternoon. Thank you for coming in. And to you, Ken. Thanks for having me. Well, yeah, I, you know, I wanted to have you on because um, I've been personally very, very impressed in what you do, how you do it. And, uh, and of course, must, much must be made of your sartorial splendour too. <laughs> Thank you, Cam. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us, uh, for those that uh, have not met you, uh, your title and, um, and what you do in your imprimatur, shall we say. I think I have the longest title of anyone in the organisation and uh, that is, and sometimes I forget it myself, but... Um, uh, I'm the manager of the food, beverage and horticulture programs at Melbourne Royal yes. uh, or the Royal Agricultural Society of Victoria. Uh-huh. Now, this was um, the, the first thing that um, struck me is, is this a different thing from a, a, a breakaway group from the Royal Agricultural Society? No, they're no. one in the same. Um, it's enveloped. Yeah. So the Ag Society did a little rebrand back in September of last year and we're and our I guess we're now known as Melbourne Royal, but it's officially still the Royal Ag Society of Victoria. Yes. Uh, but my work is focused very much on, yep, the food and beverage space and the award programs that we run throughout the year, which is separate, obviously, to the show, mm. uh, which is what Melbourne Royal is probably most known for. Yes, which uh, which I've had a, a bit of an association with. And, and I remember uh, preceded, you have been preceded by um, Anne Houlihan, Indeed. Who, Anne, I don't know if you're listening, spin back with one of her own gin and tonics made with her Great Great Ocean great Road, Road gin. gin. Yep. Hello, Anne, if you're there. Um, she did a great job in developing and celebrating the diamonds of Australian cuisine and beverage. Yeah, absolutely. That would probably be a good way to put it. I reckon. Um, so I work as a part of Anne's team. Did uh, you? I think, yeah, I think you, well, I, I think I met you back then. Yes. Uh, 2015, I think. Uh, so I was, I was focused specifically on the beverage programs uh, as a part of Anne's team. Um, and, yeah, absolute credit to Anne for, I think, probably contemporising those programs. Oh, nice. Um, nice I'm contemporising. Thank you. Still, yeah. uh, I'm still in contact with Anne and um, continue to work with her with uh, Great Ocean Road Gin. And she's doing great guns. She's just... Um, yes. Uh, now has a distillery site, which is amazing. That is, uh, uh, yeah, and that is that is good news. And um, so, before you went into uh, to this um, very, uh, very, very specific and niche job, like you know, if, if you think there's not many other people, does Sydney have something like this? Sydney, yeah, all, all of the royals they- essentially. So uh, Sydney Royal has a, a me, I guess. I um, suppose they were first uh, forced to follow our example of this glorious were. Prague of the South. They were. Of course. <laughs> um, As we feel a little uh, bit smug. Are you feeling smug out there, Melbourneites? <laughs> we should be. Um, well, <laughs> Perth as well, uh, yes. Adelaide. Yeah, so, so each of the royals run uh, their... Well, different food and beverage award programs. Yes. Um, but, yeah, it is really niche. And how did I end up here? Mm. Um, I was just talking to Kate uh, out in the green room before. Um, many years of food and beverage. Yes. Uh, so probably spent about, I don't know, 20 years uh, in restaurants and hotels. Uh, and then I saw this, this job advertised with Anne on Crafty Pint, uh, James Smith's website. Uh. And um, I thought, this sounds like me. Yeah, hello. Uh, but I knew nothing about running competitions or benchmarking. Tick, tick, tick. Yeah, but having having the product knowledge mm. and um, being familiar with the industry and having connections is. Well, is... You, you've had the. From what I can see, you have that the two hemispheres. There's sort of there's the the hands on 
experience of, you know, feeding, you know, suckering people and, you know, making them happy and all that sort of stuff, which is what hospitality is all about. But you also did, uh, was it PR at RMIT or was it, you oh, did on. PR? How did you know that? Oh, I don't know. Um, Someone told me. <laughs> uh, well, I left school and went and studied uh, agriculture, um, yes. which is a nice little tie-in back to the organisation, but I grew up nice. on a rose farm in the Yarra Valley. Uh, and and was uh, yeah because you went uh, to Lilydale didn't you you've done your research I right, did a little bit. Um, I uh, was um, expected to take over the family business hence hence going to business school the rose or farm ag- yeah um, by any other rosewood smell so a, sweet but I've got you a said couple, no yeah well I've got a couple of brothers and, and yeah. there was a bit of competition for that so I thought no nah, yeah. I don't need to be involved in this so I went and studied law and then PR take get away from that thorny issue. Correct. Excuse the pun, couldn't resist it. <laughs> um, yes, so uh, so moved from Yarra Valley. And what was your first hospitality job? It was at what is now Rochford in the Yarra Valley. Woo. It used to be called like Iton on Yarra. Cellar door. It was. Yeah. 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 Uh, that was my very first gig, uh, pouring wines at the cellar door. But also weaving the narrative, because that is what you have to, to do to sell the wine, isn't it? It's all about... This was glowing on that side of the slope, and the sun caresses the wines <laughs> as they come, and yeah. the bone was good, the and we rejoiced, and there was dancing around the fermenter <laughs> type thing. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. In fact, that's probably verbatim what I was saying. <laughs> this dancing around the fermenter thing. Um, and so you took over the the awards. Was it for, for both the wine and spirits? So uh, working under Anne, I was running, yeah, uh, wine, spirits and beer. And beer, and, sorry. Um, and then, of course, the, the, the team, which, uh, you know, more broadly also runs coffee mm. uh, and a food awards. I used to do the um, coffee awards. Yeah, the, uh, well, we ran that back in August. Mm. Some great results. Um, you do that as well? Yeah, there's well, I do five. That was down at Jeff Shed, yeah. Uh, was it? No, no, that was that was the Melbourne International Coffee Expo. Sorry, so that's the barista mis- challenge. Yes, uh, but uh, Melbourne Royal runs a roasting competition. Wow. So, uh, yeah, ro- roasters, you know, um, import the green bean, roast yes. a nice profile, send it to us. We um, brew it out to spec and send it out to our judges, and so they can get the feedback on which of the four different brew methods uh, the beans look best. Yes. And and this gets back to, in all these industries, the importance of benchmarking and the importance of being able to uh, be graded um, amongst your peers, yes? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, probably with all of these emerging categories, I mean, particularly spirits. Which is growing uh, so much. Well, when we first it's ran, a monster. Yeah, when we well, eight hundred and sixty plus entries this year of of strictly Australian distilled spirits. Say that again. Eight hundred and sixty plus. And and when it was first starting, there's what a couple of hundred. We had no. Well, we had one hundred and fifteen in the first year back in twenty fifteen. Yes. So phenomenal growth in that time. Um, Four hundred and thirty three gins were entered this year. Four hundred. That's four hundred and thirty three Australian distilled gins. Uh, which is phenomenal, and I think we saw we saw probably about uh, it was more than a ten percent increase this year yeah. in in entries. And and again, it's all about that benchmarking opportunity where mm. entrants are looking for feedback. Yes, you know, am I am I on the right track? Well, yeah. As to you know, and and how does this relate to the rest of the market? And yeah, where am I? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think um, something that we offer at Melbourne Royal. I don't think any of the other competitions do this, but uh, an entrant actually gets to they they have their results represented to them on a what we call a distribution graph, where they get to see where each of their attributes, so colour, nose, palate, balance, etc., mm. how they rank against their peers, which really? is which is uh, a, a great way of relaying you know to the entrant you've fallen down on balance or yep. colour or whatever it is. So that it's very specific feedback. This is this is where you're at, and uh, these are the things that are fantastic, and these are the things that you can improve. Absolutely. By being witness to this incredible growth in the marketplace, 
um, especially. And I'd love to maybe chat about uh, the rise of whiskies, which uh, which are coming seem to be on the tail of all the the gins and things like that. I don't know if rum's ever going to be as huge as. Uh, yeah, the, your look just said it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, rum's yeah. rum's great, but um, well, it doesn't have the same sort of market, I guess. No, um, yeah. Uh, but um, do you feel in in your instincts that are we approaching a saturation point and therefore a reckoning? It, look, good question. Thank um, you. Like like with craft beer, an yes. explosion of craft beer, yeah. you know, and I like it. to say there's, there's only so much shelf space. Uh-huh. Uh, so retailers need to make a choice about mm. what, what they're going to feature. Um, with gin, yeah, we're probably not there just yet. Really? Um, but what we are seeing, I think, as, as some emerging trends in that space is um, much more focus on shelf presence. So bottle shape, label design, even hues to gin you've probably seen it in your in your local shop there's we're not just seeing you know white gins mm-hmm. but we're seeing and it's an extension obviously of the the fruit gins and the wine gins that you know we introduced as a category last year yes but you know even in the contemporary style gins that they're adding colorings or you right. know, that there's you know the botanical whatever it is is shining through so that the product when it, you know to the consumer has has a louder presence on the shelf the shimmer effect we had, I'm just thinking, yeah, we, there was a gold leaf gin entered this year. <laughs> yes. um, yep, very much the shimmer effect. Shimmer. Well, they're, they're following a, a very, very old liqueur, aren't they? There was a thing, was it called Goldwasser? Yeah. Yep. Which I remember. Polish. Yeah, and it was insipid, if I remember right. It was very it, sweet. Yeah, it didn't really taste of anything. It's just it sort was of very viscous. And, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, forgettable. But said to increase your net worth for at least an hour. Yeah. Could be until uh, you, yes, as you rent it, shall we say. Might be nice to have her ice cream. I might have to try that. Yeah, we have to get ourselves a bottle of Goldfuster if you can find that. I will okay, find it. So gins are going crazy. They have to do all sorts of things now to stand out from the crowd. Yep. Um, and because of that, because I think, um, tell me if I'm wrong, that with the money that has been made from a lot of distillers um, has uh, from distilling gin, which is a very quick product to make. You yep. just you flavour alcohol basically. Yep, it's flavoured booze, and but that has enabled um, the cash flow and the reserves to be able to put some whiskey in a barrel and leave it for four years or so. Absolutely. I think this is this is something that we were seeing probably four or five years ago is mm. that um yeah, get the get the white product. Yeah, the to white market, the, the white booze. Whether you know, whether it's vodka or gin or Yep. Yep. And um but yep and, and that will fund or facilitate. Absolutely the, right. The so bonded that, warehouse. Yeah. So we see, you know I won't mention names, but you know, there's a number of um uh, distillers around the country who who followed exactly that model. Yeah. So get the get the gin to market, get the whiskey in barrel. Yep. By by law, it's required to have at Keep. least spent two years in barrel. Yes. Before you can call it whiskey. Um, but yeah, absolutely, that is something that we have seen and continue to see. Is that the law? It has to be two years. Yeah, we in, in Australia we don't really um, n- not much of it is uh, regulated in terms of definitions. But right. um, the the three brown spirits, so whiskey, rum, and brandy, yes. by law, by uh, under the Excise Act of 1901, are all required to have spent. Hmm? 1901. Um, they knew what they were doing. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's, that it has to be two years. Yep. Um, that's interesting in, because I am aware of. Um, a certain distiller, which I won't name, that is managing to get the process down. You can expedite it, for sure. Expedite but, it, but yes. you probably need to be careful about what you call it. And I think they might be running into that. Yes. So if you call it, say, for example, a single malt, and you're not actually using the word whiskey, you can probably get away with that. Yeah. Um, yep. Now, how good? First of all, um, the uh, uh, something should be mentioned about the fact of the money that has been spent at the uh, the showgrounds themselves with the that Victoria building. Spectacular, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm I'm 
fairly, you know, I've got a few footy seasons under my belt and I'm pretty, can be kind of jaded in some things. But uh, I was lucky enough to come to, I think it was a Spirit Awards dinner, which was held... I think it was last year. I don't think I made it to this you one. You didn't. You were on the list. Oh, was I, 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 Yeah, didn't I didn't see, see you. you. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. But, lordy, 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 can you, dis, um, first of all, uh, describe the New Victoria Pavilion, uh, what what was there beforehand and what you've got now? Would so, that be useful? Mm, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it a go. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, it was an existing pavilion yes. uh, that has been remodelled essentially to mm. become a state-of-the-art facility. And uh, for, for me, when I was uh, at the show, it was sort of like um, where the Western District's farmers, right, you know, the guys with the and, – and, and girls, women, they, them, just so I'm covering all bases, um, you know, would have the moleskins on and the checkered shirt and the woven tie – and if uh, if they were going to meet, they would do lunch there, and they'd probably even have a crown lager, right? Yep. yep. Yeah, we'll meet you there. There's a good menu. It's nice and comfy. You got a seat, and it's all good. But now, well, that I think the building that you're referring to. Have I got it wrong? No, no. Well, it's still there. Oh. Uh, that's called Rustlers, and that is that. <laughs> you've described that venue very well. Open fireplace, and <laughs> yes. and you know, uh, so that's a smaller space. Um, and then there's a kitchen between, and then we've got this this new pavilion, this so, edifice. So yeah. this is so 21st century, and if you haven't seen it, it is uh, just an extraordinary 21st century building that is an amazing place for it's for bit, function. It's a bit fancy. Yeah, yeah, it really, so we really had, is. We had two events in there last week. One was the uh, Distilled Spirits Awards mm-hmm. um, presentation, followed yep. the next night by the the Wine Awards. Yeah. Um, which, which I heard uh, uh, again. I'm very, very sorry. I missed. I was invited. and I was supposed to go, but I was, uh, uh, shall we say, indisposed. I was unwell. Uh, that was the reason I didn't get there. But I heard. Check this out, Carl. You sit at the table if you're lucky enough to get an uh, invite to the the wine awards. Ten glasses in front of you. Correct. And and you've already been served one in the foyer. And because you weren't able to make it, I want to point out I have brought you a bottle of uh, this year's Jimmy Watson Memorial Trophy wine. No way. Yeah. This is the Jimmy Watson winner. This is it. I was next to um, um I was at the uh where was it? the uh, Ligon Street at the um at the cinema and I was looking in at Jimmy Watson's and thinking about wow, what, what would he think of the 60, wine industry well, now? This, this is uh so this was the 60th, celebrating the 60th year of that award. Jimmy Watson. Because we didn't get to run the Wine Awards in 2020. We, um, it's not the 60th winner. Yes. That'll be next year. Yep. But this is uh, Hentley Farms, the old Grenache, uh, Barossa Valley. Barossa Valley. And great to see a Grenache get up. Under Stelvin, I see, Under still. Stelvin. Yeah, there's not many bottles that, that have corks nowadays. Oh, it looks good, doesn't it? Of, of, nice I think... Well, we had 2,360 entries in wine this year, and I'd yes. venture to say probably about 4% were under cork. 4%, 4% now? Yeah, 4, wow. four maybe 5 Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and also, uh, we really need to uh, offer our congratulations in being able to continue on after such difficult times with... Uh, COVID, and uh, I remember talking to Seb Costello, who was uh, one of the head judges. Yep. And somehow you were able. Can you describe what you oh, had to was, do? Yeah. So do you remember those days? I do. The little uh, bead of sweat that appears on the forehead. Certainly not far from my mind. Um, <laughs> uh, so the the Distilled Spirits Awards in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. Yes. We delivered remotely, so we decanted all. Oh, well, last year it was seven hundred and sixty. Entries, each one got decanted into thirty mil vials times six. Yeah, six vials, and those vials got collated and sent out. Were were sent out to our judges around the country, who then assembled online. Yeah, for three days oh. in panels. Yeah, uh, to judge from home. We sent them glassware. We sent them palate cleansers. <sighs> We sent them polishing cloths. It was a logistical feat. My brain hurts just thinking about it. Which is why it was so exciting this year to see (laughs) judging return to the showgrounds in person. Yes. And, you know, I feel for Seb. um, G'day, Seb, if you're listening. Seb um, Third year as our head judge and his his first time as judge in person. Mm. So amazing that, you know, he was able to orchestrate 
those those two previous years uh, from his home. Unbelievable. Yeah. So it's nice, nice to get everyone back in the room. Yeah, just unbelievable. Well, um, I really just, Damien, I just wanted to get you on because um, I wanted to acknowledge the great work that you do, um, the collegiate way that you appear to be doing it, um, and um, and I think that uh, this state is better for it, and you know, and and that we can extrapolate that out. And, of course, because and also your sartorial elegance has to be acknowledged. Cam, thanks very much for having me. It's been, no, it's been lovely to have you, and I just really wanted to congratulate you on appreciate the work it. that you do. Thank you. Thank it's you. Appreciate a, it. A pleasure. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R, exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. Triple R. Hey, here on 3 Triple R FM, this day is sunny. It feels good. The vitamin D is happening amongst us that are out in the, in the sunshine. I hope you're thinking of a picnic. And I'm thinking of my favourite, favourite breakfast of all time because I always do on a Sunday because I'm able to indulge it, maybe not quite as well as I'd like to. But we have the undisputed ruler, queen of laminated pastry here in this country. I challenge anyone to tell me otherwise. Kate Reed, an enormous, beautiful 3 Triple R. Welcome to you this afternoon. Hello. Cam Smith, I don't know if I've ever been welcomed so beautifully in my entire life. Really? My goodness. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, hello. Not, not even to the Williams team? Uh, definitely not, no. No, no like, they could really do with a Cam Smith this over is, there. This is Kate, she's going to be doing the aerodynamics. Yeah, exactly. The front wing, right? No, it was like, here's your computer, sit down and work. There you go, <laughs> work. Yep, yeah. and be quiet. Yeah, I still love the the fact that you had to use uh, Frank's special toilet because they hadn't bothered to uh, to put one in for you. The reason I'm referring to Formula One is that Kate Reid didn't originally be, want to do croissant and things like that, but uh, it was all about uh, watching the Grand Prix with uh, with Dad late at night, and uh, and that drove you. And uh, you did have a uh, a pretty amazing career. With uh, doing your astrophysics degree in astrophysics, aerospace engineer, aerospace engineer. As soon as I said that, I realised it was wrong. But then, a great moment of the epiphany, uh, like Saul going down the highway to Rome in a Formula One car. <laughs> in a Formula One car, yeah. doing a downshift, <laughs> going. Ah, I think there's too much in the air on the front tyre. That uh, you found the love of croissant. Uh, most people know about it. You now have three outlets. How's Armadale going? Five outlets. Well, no way. Yes. What have you been doing? Oh, look, it's been tell a busy me, year. Tell me where they, where they are. So we've got the we've got the Cube in Rose Street. Um, we've got the one in Russell Street. You've been Correct. with the Dowagers of Armadale. Yes, we opened the, our beautiful Armadale the, store in July this year. The Twin Sets in Pearls. Yes, yes. exactly. And, and we also have two stores in Brisbane. Bris Vegas. Yeah, Bris Vegas. Well, um, no way. The first one, which is the main production store, opened in August last year. Oh, my God. Sadly, on the day that Melbourne went into its huge lockdown last year, so I didn't get to see the Brisbane store for five months, which was upsetting and difficult. <laughs> yes. But Cammy's laughing for those who no, <laughs> Well, I know what sort of like how you want to be on top of everything and Correct. there are so many details that you have to be on top of and you are the ultimate perfectionist along with your brother Cam. Well, the reason that what, I, your I could Cam sleep at, in or something? No, I could sleep at night because Cam, bless him, actually moved up to Brisbane uh, yeah, to go. support the opening of the That's store. That's what I'm so. saying, yeah, you parachuted him in. He parachuted himself in. Yes, God yep. bless him. How is he? He's really well. He is now a dad of two. No way. Wow. Yeah, I think He's when, been busy. When we first met each other, I think he might have been a uh, solo dad. Yeah. Not, well, not dad. Not dad. Not yeah, dad. Yeah, not just, you know, just free and free wheel and Cam. Free wheel and Cam. Free wheel <laughs> Okay, we'll just, yeah. Um, <clears throat> we digress. So we digress. So um, the joy of the laminated pastry has uh, has kept you incredibly busy. 
How on earth did you find time to write this book? Oh, that's actually a really good question. It is. Thank you. Yeah. Because I know how busy you are and how hands-on you are and how focused well, you are. Well, I think are. publishers have been approaching me since maybe 2016 talking who, about writing the Loon Cookbook. Who got you in the end? Hardy Grant. God bless them. Yeah, God bless them. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, it was the Hardy Grant UK office that really got me. So a very good friend of mine was over in the UK on the the working holiday visa for a couple of years, Mm -hmm. and she got a maternity leave cover role working for Hardy Grant's UK office. And one day was chatting to one of the commissioning editors and mentioned that she was friends with me. And Eve, the commissioning editor, went, wait, what? You're friends with Kate Reid? You know Kate Reid? And she said, I followed Loon on Instagram forever. I'm obsessed with their pastries. Do you think you could... Put me in so touch this with is Kate. vicariously after never even getting to actually experience yep. one. To this day, Eve still hasn't eaten a loon croissant. Wow. Living vicariously on the other side of the wow. world. So we had a Zoom. Jeez, in... Talk about that is really selling the sizzle, isn't it? Isn't it really? Oh, I like that yeah. selling the sizzle. Yeah. Well, she's bought it. Yeah. You know, she hasn't even tried it. Totally. Yeah. Anyway, so yes. So we had a Zoom last July, yes. and I mean. The first time I met you when we chatted, we instantly connected. Yes. And it's just you're on the same level with someone. Yes. And even via a Zoom meeting someone for the first time, I knew that she had to be the one to publish the book. Oh, wow. She got me as a person mm-hmm. and she also just loved Loon. As you said, even though she hadn't eaten one single pastry <clears throat> from the shop, I I knew that she would be the one to capture the essence of Loon and myself in mm. the book. So... Up until that point, I hadn't agreed to do a book with a publisher because, as you said, I was just too busy. And yeah. writing a book, like, saps the life out of you. You and really, And especially something as so technical and um, precise as croissant. Technical, precise, you know. but also personal. Like, yeah. it was really this beautiful journey of me looking back on the last 10 years of what we've created at Loon, like mm. my favourite recipes, but also I've woven my story throughout it. So mm. sort of how I discovered pastry, how I came across working at a boulangerie in Paris and mm. then starting Loon, Cameron joining, opening the new stores. So that's all woven through the book too. What was that place called? Can I say it and you can correct my pronunciation? Sure. Uh, it's uh, The acronym is D-P-D-A. Uh, <laughs> Dupin de Adiz? Dupin de Deside. Say it again. Dupin et Deside. There you go. So she it's of bread it and ideas. And ideas. Yeah, I th- yeah. it's a beautiful... It's stunning. It is. Yeah, it, it's I can see how it just... very quintessentially Parisian, like Belle Epoque style, mm-hmm. beautiful baked goods, um, a line out the door every day, rightly so. Beautiful. It's still one of my enduring memories of visiting Paris is um, is people lined up at the boulangerie for uh, in the afternoon for, for the, baguette for the yeah for the afternoon bake yeah and uh, and I remember this fabulous. Drunk French, an old French drunk, but even that, he was so entertaining. You know, <laughs> it's like, oh, mon Dieu. Drunk with a French accent is ah, certainly more entertaining. It is, it <laughs> yeah. is, rather than someone screaming at the wind, you know, down at, um, I don't know, the uh, pick anywhere you like uh, around Melbourne, that that, uh, that might happen. But then I also, one of my great memories of Paris was. Um, and I'm digressing, but please... No, this in, is a great chat. Indulge me in this. I, I remember a beautiful Sunday. It's autumn. So, you know, there's that autumn sun, which is warm but not too hot. And and the sky is like a dome because it's different from the huge sky that we have here in Australia. And there's cobblestone streets and there's a French food market there. And I remember there was a trellis filled with chanterelles. Oh, I knew you were going to say mushrooms. Yeah. The it way. could have been nothing else in yeah, autumn. Just just oh. chanterelles everywhere and I'm just going, <gasps> and I'm almost weeping because Paris moves me or moved me so much. And then from the background I hear, Harry, you wish that they could at least pave over these cobblestones. I can't walk on these cobblestones. <laughs> And there they were, the the terrible American tourists at their absolute worst, like just a clang coming through and destroying everything. It really shatters the illusion, doesn't oh, it? Oh, my God, it, it really, really does. Now, as you say in this book, croissant is not for the faint-hearted. 
No, it's not. No, it's not. And I make no bones about it. No, you said it's one of the first pages. It's like, dude. Well, the reason that I made no bones about it is Is. because in between working at the Boulangerie in Paris and starting Loon, Mm. I came back to Australia and I thought, great, I'm armed with all this new knowledge and information. I'm going to whip up some croissants at home. So I went and bought, I think it was three cookbooks that had different recipes and I tried each of them. Yeah. And... Each time I tried them, they were a complete disaster. In what way were they disastrous? Oh, they were like when I pulled no, right. them out of the – like when I set up my oven as a prover mm-hmm. and put the tray of boiling water in the bottom and then a couple of hours later, as the recipe instructed me, pulled them out, there was a pool of melted butter surrounded by a flabby, flat-looking amoebic thing. And when I baked it up, it was greasy and doughy and rock solid. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure this isn't how croissants are supposed to be. No, I just refer to figure A here. No, that doesn't look like it at all. Correct. And I then made the very interesting decision on the back of those three bake-ups at home to start Loon. Yeah. But obviously I had some unfounded confidence in my ability to do it. I can do this. Well, yeah. But you know what? What? I didn't have a laminator at home. I didn't have a blast chiller or a commercial mixer or a chilled bench or a climate-controlled room. Yes. And in the last 10 years, if Loon has taught me nothing, it's that croissants are meant to be made in a commercial bakery with all of that equipment. Yes, and and using, as you say, research, knowledge, building, testing and experimentation. Correct. It's the scientific method, and this is one of the great things of doing what you do in in a previous life and applying it to this. Correct. Yes. But I think when I embarked on this book, mm. I didn't want to just pen the recipe that we make at Loon because no one will be able to replicate that at home. It would be, as the French say, impossible. Correct. It would be impossible. <laughs> yes. And signing the contract with Hardy Grant was me making a commitment to myself mm. that I would re-engineer the recipe. Come up with a new one, yeah. Correct. And I think... That, that, was a, that was a big challenge to set myself and maybe six weeks into the process of recipe testing at home, again six, in, the middle of a, in the middle of a lockdown, which mm. was great. I was told I had to work from home yes. and it was kind of perfect because all I had was my kitchen at home and my big domestic sack of, oven. Big sack of flour. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but I started... A bunch of butter. Well, I started by going around to Loon every morning and they'd made me an extra two kilos of dough because I thought, well, that, that'll at least save me one of the three days of the process. Yes. You know, and I'll, I'll gift the world with the Loon croissant dough recipe at least. Mm. But I had some ideas for techniques on how to change the lamination process, so creating the layers of dough and butter. Yes. And so I was testing these madly for six weeks and not really making any headway. Really? And one of my dear friends is maybe one of the smartest people I know and one of the most brilliant. He's a movie director. Yeah. And I called him up, you know, at the end of the six weeks, banging my head against a brick wall. I'm like, Michael, do you ever have a day where you just – are so unmotivated that you want to go back to bed. And yeah. he's, I'm thinking he never has these days. Yeah, like, of course I do, darling. Yeah, he said, he, he said exactly that. And he yeah. said, I don't put myself back to bed. Well, I find a completely different task to do or I do something nice. And when I feel like my head is clear and I'm ready to go back to it, I go back to it. I could return. Correct. So what did you do? Oh, I did a bit of yoga at home. I took the dog for a walk. <laughs> it was good. I did a little bit of loon work, which yeah. was good. Okay, yeah. And then the next morning I woke up and it was like a bolt of lightning struck me. I thought, I don't think the issue is the new techniques that I'm trialing for lamination. I think the issue is actually the dough. The oh, dough is designed yeah, okay, yes. for commercial bakery equipment. And, and, and a laminating machine. Correct. Because the so laminating the machine. and the strength of the. Yeah, yeah. A laminator really gently rolls out the dough to the thickness required. And completely consistently because yes. unlike using a rolling pin, there's no variation in and a rolling the strength pin, of EV arms. Exactly. A rolling pin imparts a lot more strength into the dough. Yes. Be- and it's uneven the, and inconsistent. Because it's developed more gluten? Because yes, of just it, the nature of the pushing down? Yeah, so yes. developing more gluten means that it wants to keep springing back. Yes. And makes it really hard to roll it out to the thickness that the recipe is demanding that you roll it out to. Mm-hmm. So I went back to science baking books to investigate how to increase the extensibility of dough. Say that again, the extensibility. How good is that word, extensibility? 
car, we need to write that down. Mm. So the word of the day, what does extensibility mean? Well, it means basically making it easier to roll out and supple. stretchier. Supple? Yeah, more and malleable, stretchier. Malleable, yeah. yes. Because so, there's malleable and ductile. Oh, I'm enjoying all these. They're very engineering words. Malleable means you can bend things. Ductile means it keeps its shape once you've bent it. Oh, well, we don't want ductile. Right. Not necessarily. Because you do want something that... Ban the ductile. Okay. Forget that, folks. I think we'll just stick with extensible. Put your ductiles down. Yeah, okay. Yes. So, yes, extensibility. We're back at that. So... I landed on pre-ferments, which is something that we don't use at Loon. Yeah, this is it, the pools. What's yeah, the poolish. Yeah, the poolish. And there are many different types of pre-ferments. But, yeah, because um, yeah, that one... was one of the things when I opened up the book and going, what is this poolish thing? Yeah. Yeah. So poolish is one type of a pre-ferment. Yes. And it's 100% hydration, which means equal parts water to flour. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I'm going to give this a go. So I made a poolish and then I adapted the Loon dough recipe. Yes. And the next day, when I'd let it have its 24 hours rest, the next day I pulled it out of the fridge and suddenly all the techniques that I'd been testing to no avail were working a treat. Oh, my God. Then Michael calls me up the following day and he's like, how are you going? I'm like, oh, yeah, I've solved it. He's like, what? What? I spoke to you on Friday. So, yeah. What you talking about, Kate? Yeah, what you talking about? You did it. Yeah. You did it. And... um, and so, folks, what has been produced here from this recipe is a truly beautiful, beautiful book. Um, the photography is absolutely extraordinary. I mean, um, can I use the word food porn? Yeah, go on. I, oh, mean, I it, think it, it Pete is. Dillon would be honoured if you use the word food porn. Oh, my God. So who's your photographer? Uh, the wonderful Pete Dillon. Wow. Yeah, he's... Um, I think the greatest challenge of photographing a book that has 60 recipes of croissant pastry, and like when you think about it, they're all kind of the same size, shape, and color. So, how mm. do you make 60 recipes look interesting? Mm. You do what Pete Dillon did. What did he do? Well, I mean, it was a combination. It worked his magic. We had an amazing stylist, Lee yeah. Blaylock, and my beautiful designer, Evie. Mm. And the idea was to rather and just feature, you know, a stylized picture of the croissant to start featuring local fashion labels that are my favourite. Oh. So Handsome in Gertrude Street, Somebody Loves You in uh, in Smith Street, mm. who oh, – the, the jumper I'm wearing today is Koto, which is a beautiful ethical New Zealand label. Yes. And also Sook Workwear, which is just down the road from you guys. Yes. We featured those three brands prolifically throughout the book as the texture in the background. Ah. So even if you don't like pastry, it's a really cool fashion so book. You, so you stayed away from just the linen serviette, which has been de rigueur for the last well, few years. I am going to point out now Lee Blaylock, my stylist. Yeah. There are people who are specifically napkin stylists. And I can tell you it is really hard to fashion a napkin. <laughs> No, you like. I laughed when she so, told me. Uh, uh, you mean a, a, a napkin ruche? Oh, I actually learned no, some really good ruche. tips. Yeah. Like, Lee was interesting. Yeah. If you want to make something look like it's just been like, it's like fresh out of the pan or out the. We didn't do this, but out of the yeah. oven, like a dish. Yeah. Food stylists will soak a tampon, tampon in boiling in water and tuck it behind the plate so there's steam coming or, from behind. Or you just whack it in the microwave. Well, I've, you can I, do I've, that as well. I've been on set when we've done that. Put a tampon in the microwave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bring in the steam. <sighs> and then a lot of the time, what is it, um, that uh, milk uh, in cereals is uh, uh, one of the best things to use is PVC glue. It's not milk because when you use just milk and you photograph it, it looks too watery. There you go. So a lot of time it's either conditioner, hair conditioner or PVC glue. Are you going to be available to style on my second book for me? Hey. I'm just locking you in now. Hey, you know, hey, if, you, if I'm asked, you know. But one of the one of the things that you say that you cannot do, is, and it's twelve fifty five here on three triple F. Actually, it's twelve fifty six. We've only got about it's four. It's gone fast. I know it always does. Yeah. Um, yeah. We need a break. Oh God. Okay. Let's do the break, and then I want to ask you of the one of your golden rules in your kitchen, which is no flour on the workbench. Oh, it's critical. Thank you. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Kate. 
We're back with uh, Kate Reid. You're listening to Eat It. We've just got uh, literally seconds left to talk, which um, kind of pisses me off because I love chatting with you, Kate. We could talk about this uh, all day. Uh, we're talking about uh, the croissant book, uh, Kate Reid, Loon uh, Croissants All Day, All Night, because that's how long you're going to have to be cooking them to do them, which Kate says is going to take three days. But one of the things that... Um, I thought was extraordinary when I first met you and it was at Rose Street and I was looking at your your dough breaker or your laminator and I went, there's no flour anywhere. Correct. And you had formulated it thus and you have uh, managed to do that for the domestic thing. How are domestic cooks stopping their things from sticking? Well, that's the reformulation of the recipe that I've written um, mm. We, instead of putting all the butter in at the start, yes. the butter's laminated in over two stages. Yes. So essentially the layer of dough that separates your first layer of butter from your bench mm. is a little bit thicker and the butter's a bit thinner. Yes. Um, also just keeping your dough really cold at all times and working your butter at the correct temperature. That I speak to every step along the way and mm. if people follow it word for word, they're going to make a beautiful croissant at yeah, home. Yeah, you're going to be fine. Just uh, It's just a poco a poco, little by little, a step by step by step. And uh, you doing can do everything it. with attention to detail. Yeah, you can. Um, and uh, just as a, a quick question, your favourite creation uh, in, in laminated pastry, other than perfecting the croissant Look, itself. It changes on a daily basis, yes. but today, given what we've just talked about, yeah. Even if you mess up your lamination, if a bit of butter breaks through, mm. if you make the quinaman, the what, what you the quinaman, yeah. which is in the breakfast chapter, yes. and it's a classic French pastry. It's not a loon creation. Mm. If you make a quinaman with the pastry that you've created, you are going to pull the most delicious thing out of your oven that you've ever tasted. How much is the book? $55. Is it out now? It's out now in all good bookstores and online and in Loon. There you go. So, uh, Kate, it is just an extraordinary pleasure to chat with you about this. Um, I look forward to uh, sampling some of those croissants soon. It's, it has been a while. But, Kate, thank you for coming in. Thank you so much, Cam. Carl, thank you. You rock. Uh, Cam, it's always good. Always yep. a pleasure. Hi, this is Cam Smith, and you've been listening to the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. 